This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. It was just a wonderful time, and I'm excited to introduce to you Pastor Dennis. So would you welcome him this morning? Man, it's good to be here. Heard a lot about this church. Love your pastor, great guy. Hey, hang on to him. You want to keep him happy. Not a lot of good visionary leaders out there these days. And uh, love your vision. You know, love God, love people, serve the world. Excellent vision. And uh, just the feel of this place. It's just been incredible. I think I know you know that. That's why you're here. But I believe God's got some pretty big things in store for this place. Well. Um, I come here today from, well, I say Appleton, Wisconsin, because that's where God's got us serving. We've been there now for, let's see, 18 years. This is our 18th year in ministry. But actually, and you'll pick this up, I'm from the East Coast. I'm born in Jersey, worked in New York City for many years for a company called AIG. You may have heard about it. Almost brought the world economy down. And... Uh, we, uh, we actually were going to stay in Jersey. We had no plans on coming to the Midwest. But in 1997, we, we actually accepted a call to go to a church in Mendham, New Jersey, which is up around where my turf is, around right in the New York City area. And um, there's this church in Appleton, Wisconsin, keeps calling us. And they called me like once, twice, three times. I kept saying, no, no, I've already accepted a call to another church. They kept calling and uh, make a long story short, we came up. It became very clear that God wanted us to be up here in Wisconsin. So we went back. I had to tell the church, I don't understand this, but God, I think, wants us in Appleton, Wisconsin. And we rallied our kids. We had you have three kids. They were small at the time. We figured, well, we've got to make an announcement here, so let's take them to a nice place, restaurant. We take them to Chili's. <laughs> Big time. And we took them to Chili's, and... Uh, we said, we got an announcement for you guys. God is sending us to Wisconsin. My oldest son starts to cry. I'm feeling awful because he says to me, Dad, if you ever have to tell us something like this in public, don't do it in public. That's how I'm feeling. I feel like I've abused my son now. My daughter, 10-year-old daughter, she, she says, Wisconsin, I'm going to throw up. You don't know anything about Wisconsin. She said, do they speak English? <laughs> said, it's, it's in America. So it was, it was a bit of a, uh, an adjustment for us, but we've come up here. We've been up here 18 years. God's done an amazing thing in that church up in Appleton and uh, raised our family here. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I go back. I tell my Italian fa- family back there. They say, when are you coming back? I go, never. I'm going to die there. I said, what, 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 something got into your head? What, are you crazy? I said, no, I'll tell you, it's a nice place to live. Nice place to raise a family. Wonderful people. So that's where we are. Uh, I told you we have three kids. Well, uh, two of them are married. And some years ago, when our uh, daughter was getting married, we thought, well, let's, let's, let's surprise our kids. Let's really wow them on the dance floor. So let's take dancing lessons. So we did. We've never done that before. i got to tell you now, my wife, Judy, I'm from New Jersey. My wife, Judy, from Ohio. Very strict Baptist church. Garb. 
General Association Regular Baptist. And in the church she grew up in, you couldn't dance. You couldn't move your body in cool ways. That's sin. So when, you, so when we're taking dancing lessons, I could see that my wife is kind of struggling. But the good news is we had great instructors. We had a, actually a woman was our main instructor. But on this particular day, a guy was taking us. I think he owned the place. He, he was showing us and showing us our moves and everything. And he said, go ahead, go out on the dance floor. So we start to do the foxtrot and some other things. And he stops us. And I immediately thought it was my fault because, you know, I'm supposed to be leading. And I said, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm doing something wrong. He didn't talk to me. He actually turns to my wife, Judy. And he says, if this thing is going to work, if you're going to dance with beauty and with grace, here's the way it goes. Somebody has got to lead and somebody has got to follow. This is not a both and deal. This is an either or deal. So I'm going to ask you, and I want to be really clear on this. I want you to be really clear on this. He turns to my wife. He says, who is leading? And my wife, Judy, through her gritted teeth, says, he is. And the instructor says, that's good. And who's following? And my wife says, and even more gritted teeth, I'm following. And folks, I didn't say a word because I was enjoying this so much. (laughs) I actually told the instructor, could you go over this again? Because I think that this framework might be helpful for us going forward. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to follow. That's true in the church. In fact, the pastor just talked about that. Who's the leader of the church? Who, who is the head of the church? Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at the verse. It says, he is before all things. Who's he? Jesus. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Who leads the church? Jesus does. But what he does is he calls what's called under shepherds. He's the chief shepherd. He calls under shepherds. And what's the job of the under shepherds? The job of the under shepherds is to manage his church, to find out what his game plan is for each church, because every church, your church, this church, Word of Grace, has a specific role to play in this community. No other church has it. God has a vision for this church. A vision is about what you're to be as a church and what you're to do as a church. God is a God of order. He has a vision for every church. And he expects these under-shepherds, these visionary leaders, to first of all, find out what God's vision is, communicate it to the people, and then everybody unified, pursue that passionately. Two-thirds of the churches in America right now are either stagnant or declining. We have the greatest message in the world, folks. We really do. We have the greatest message of hope in the world. There is no reason. Jesus said the harvest is white. It's ready for the picking. And yet why do churches that have the gospel are either stagnant or declining? Many of them can't even have one. They don't even report one person coming to Christ. Answer. Obviously, the the leaders at the top are not understanding what God's plan is, what his vision is for their individual churches. And without that, they die. They begin to die. Proverbs chapter 29 tells us that. Where there is no vision, people perish. I I got news for you. Where there is no vision, churches perish. The whole Bible is about God having a vision, a game plan. And he communicates it, first of all, to a leader. He always picks out a person, a leader. 
And then the leader tells the leaders, and then the leaders tell the people. That's the sequence. That's the process of vision. Jesus had a vision from whom? The Father. He said, I came to do the Father's vision, right? Luke chapter 2. Let's show that verse. He said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my Father's business? God gave Abraham a vision to lead the Israelites towards a new land prepared for them. He, had a, he gave a vision to Moses. What was the vision he gave to Moses? Lead the people out of bondage and Pharaoh, out of Egypt. He gave a vision to Joshua. Settle the people in the land. Conquer the land and settle it. He gave a vision to Nehemiah. To rally the people to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. He gave a vision to the Apostle Paul. Uh, evangelize the Gentiles. He gave a vision to Peter. Evangelize the Jews. You read your entire Bible. It's all about God having a vision, a game plan for, for his church. But he begins with an individual, gives it to the leaders then of the church, and then to the people. And then I'll tell you what pastors do. Those of us who get it, we understand that we, we are here. First you define reality. This is where the church is right now, but this is where God wants it to go. It wants us to go there. Right? It wants us to go to the vision, the purpose. Now, I'll tell you what a lot of us do, and I'm as guilty as anybody. We love talking about the vision. We love talking about what there is. I mean, it's exciting. It's God-sized. God has got his fingerprints all over it. It's exciting. People get excited about it in the church. Wow, God is going to use our church to do that? That's right. That's what God's telling us. So we got to get to it. And we spend a lot of time talking about there. But you know what we miss sometimes? What's very, very important? <clears throat> talking about here. Why it's totally unacceptable to God and it should be to God's people that we stay here. We cannot stay here. It's totally unacceptable to even think about staying here. We have got to go there. And the, and the question you've got to answer is, why? Why is it totally unacceptable to God to stay here? Just to be comfortable and stay where we are. Why do we have to go there? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Why it's totally unacceptable to God, according to the Bible, according to his word, why we can't stay, why you can't stay here, whatever you are right now as a church, why you have to go there where the pastor and the leaders of the church are saying, that's where we need to go. Three reasons. Here's the first reason. The time is short. That's what the Bible says. We don't know how short, but it says the time is short. I just completed a 14th session uh, course entitled Things to Come. I was amazed. I spent 18 years in this church. I have never taught on Revelation or the end times, so I figured I should get around to that one of these days. So I said, I, I announced it last fall. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a 14th session course I call Things to Come. We're going to do it on a Wednesday night. And, and folks, I thought, Wednesday night, what are you going to get on Wednesday night? You know how many people came out? 850 people signed up for this thing. That's amazing. Especially with the Wisconsin in the NCAA finals there. Because it was smack dab in the middle of, the, uh, you know, of, of, of March Madness. But they came. But why? Because they want to know. This picture, this big picture that God gives us of what's going to happen. When Jesus returns, regardless of when he returns, 
The Bible says our position has to be the time is short. We don't know when it is, but we just have a short amount of time, and that should create urgency as to why we can't stay here. Let's look at some verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time, remain, the time that remains is very short. Next verse. From the Psalms. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that the days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away, that my life is no longer than the width of, of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. Next verse. From Paul. Another reason for right living is that you know how late it is and that time is running out. I mean, we could go verse after verse after verse. There's no question in the New Testament that the apostles, that the writers of the New Testament understand there's an urgency about this kingdom business because time is short. Why do we have to be unsatisfied? We cannot be satisfied with staying here is because the time is short. James puts it this way in his little epistle in James chapter 4. He says, how do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life's like a morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Get it done. Whatever God's telling you to do, get it done. And get it done now. Next verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it talks about the heroes of the faith. There, Let us throw off everything that hinders, very important, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race, the race marked out for us. And then it says, make sure you fix your eyes on Jesus. Three things. That's a very important section, by the way, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You should really mark that out in your Bibles because it's very clear that, he's, that God is speaking to his church because he says, let us, let us, let us. And three things it says. First of all, it says, let us throw out everything that hinders I ran the Boston Marathon, uh, 100th running of the Boston Marathon in 1998. It was really incredible. They doubled the amount of entrance. They had 40,000 people instead of 20,000 people running. You start in this little town called Hopkinton. It was the third time I had run this thing, but this is the first time I'd been in such a big crowd. 40,000 people. So they had, you, they had you leave the center of Boston really early in these buses, and we went there, and we got there like 6 o'clock in the morning. It had rain like crazy the night before, so it was all muddy, and it was cold. And so everybody had sweats and double sweats on and all that. But then by the time race time started, especially after the first mile or two, it really warmed up. Sun was out. And I will never, you know what I remember about the race? I'll never forget people with really expensive sweats, Nike, uh, Adidas sweats, and they're taking these sweats off and chucking them. Probably never to find them again. But what I remember about that was that was a sense of urgency. They were going to throw off everything that was baggage, anything that hindered them from accomplishing the goal. And that's what that verse says. If you're a church and you're serious because the time is short and you've got you to gotta run and you've got to run now towards whatever God wants you to do, get it done. Make sure you throw off anything that hinders. And it talks about sin. You know, don't, don't get involved in that stuff. Look, the devil is a deceiver. He makes sin look great. But it's not. So he says, throw it off. Throw it off. And then, I'll tell you what else. Let me show what else the churches do. You're going to be really, this is, you'll be smarter than most pastors out there if you get this. Here's what churches do. This is, you talk about baggage that weighs churches down. Function, form. Let me explain this. What are the functions of the New Testament church? In other words, every church needs to be doing these things according to the New Testament. 
What does God tell us to do? Chuck Swindoll has put it in an acronym. He calls it WIFE. Okay? Let me show you. Worship. We just, we just worship, right? Instruction. What would that be? Well, what we're doing right now, we're learning from God's word. Fellowship. What's that? Biblical fellowship. You're going to do this after the service. You're going to talk, you're going to rub shoulders with people, you're going to talk, share your lives, maybe pray for one another. The Bible says as one uh, person sharpens another. That's what happens. When, you, when you're with other believers, you kind of sharpen each other in the faith. That's biblical fellowship. And frankly, you know, you can do just so much of it an hour after service. You really need to be more in a small group or a Bible study and pursue relationships with one another so you can actually get to know each other and help each other through the Christian life. And then there's evangelism, right? Sharing your faith with others that don't know. You could, some people might put prayer. I think Chuck Swindoll, what he does is he includes this in worship. But these are the five functions, if you will, of the church. In other words, every New Testament church needs to make sure they're doing these things. You can't leave one out. You're never going to compromise. I hope as word of grace, you'll say these things we will always do here. Now, how you do them is called a form. So, for example, what are we doing right now? We're doing worship on Sunday morning. Some people do it on, it's Sunday night. They have Sunday night services. Some churches have a midweek service. They do worship. Instruction. Well, you could say at the services, of course, but also people have Bible studies. Some people do, uh, they, have, um, uh, they, they have cafe uh, groups. Others have uh, online courses. Okay? These are different forms to do Bible instruction. Fellowship. What do we do here? Well, if you're really old school, you have the annual picnic. Right? The church picnic. But, hey, yeah, people, what we do is we call, we have a thing called mini church. Mini church. We meet in homes. We, we pray. We have Bible study, but that's not the main function. We tell our leaders. The main function is to do the one another's of the New Testament. Pray for one another. Carry one another's burdens. Admonish or warn each other. Teach each other. Encourage each other. All the one another's of the New Testament, you've got to make sure your people are doing those. That's biblical fellowship. Evangelism. Again, old school, you did evangelism explosion. Some people still go door to door. I wouldn't suggest that today, but some people still do that. Not really effective. And then you've got, uh, you know, people, some people ask out tracks. I mean, you name it. There's different ways to share your faith. Prayer. Well, what used to be the big thing? Wednesday night prayer meeting, right? Some of you don't remember that. That was like, if you're a church that prays, you come out Wednesday night to prayer. To pray. I come to Appleton Alliance Church in 1997. They got a Wednesday night prayer meeting. You know how many people are coming? Church is 500. How many people are coming out to Wednesday night prayer meeting? Seven, if you're lucky. So I go. I'm the pastor. I got to show up. I show up. I'm praying. It's a wonderful time. We're praying with seven people. But I go to the board and I say, hey, wait a minute. This ain't working anymore. We got we to dish this and we got to find another way for God's people to pray in this church. You know what they tell me? What do you think they, they say? Pastor. If we don't have Wednesday night prayer meeting, we're not going to be a praying church. What are they doing? Sanctifying the form instead of the function. They don't get it. It's not. It's just a bad form. We're not committed to the form. Things change. People's schedules change. Let's get a new. So what we did was say, let's include it in many churches. We had more people praying now than ever before. And by the way, I, I asked them first. I said, how many of you guys go to prayer meeting? Zero. It wasn't a form that they could even use. 
So here's what I'm saying. What's baggage that you need to let go of as a church in order, because the time is short and you've got to pursue this vision? Watch you don't get caught up on forms. If your pastor or leader say, you know what, this ain't working anymore, so we're going to change that. We're going to do biblical fellowship, but we're going to do it another way. Don't be one of those people in the, in, in the chairs that go, wait, 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 wait a minute, that means we're not worshiping. That means we, we haven't done that for years. That's the way we do it. Another, it's a form. Don't sanctify the form. This, never compromise on. So this is baggage. This is how some churches get stuck. Throw it off. And then it says, run with perseverance. Get through your challenges. You will have challenges. Listen, you want to do business for God? Serious business where you take, you take, uh, you know, you take ground away from the enemy? You will have obstacles. Persevere. Make sure you endure through them. And then fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at your circumstances. Look, some of you came into this room today and you got all kinds of problems in your life right now. If you're like the people that I know, you got all kinds of problems. I mean, everybody's got problems. If you don't have a problem, that's your problem. <laughs> but if you fix your eyes on the problem, you're not going anywhere. If you forget everything from today, don't forget this. this that verse says, fix your eyes on Jesus, not the problem who's the author and the perfecter of your faith and of your life. So, first reason why we absolutely can't stay here, time is short. That's what the Bible's saying. Two, days are evil. What are you talking about, Pastor? Days are evil. That's what the Bible says. The days are evil. Ephesians chapter 5, here it is. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, does that mean God's not in control? God is in control. He's sovereign. Colossians chapter 2. He has stripped naked the enemy at the cross. He has no power over the Christian. Over the non-Christian, he does. But over the Christian, he got no power. Only to make you think he's got power. The victorious Christian life is yours. Every Christian. Not just for the, not just for the elite Christian. Everybody can live victoriously in Jesus. But... He's still going to try and get us off track. How does he do it? Well, as we've said, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's called the evil one. The accuser. He accuses you. He's always putting you down. You think you're a Christian. Look what you did. You went to church yesterday and you call yourself a Christian. See, this is all stuff he throws in your ear. And it's not people. People are not the enemy. Yeah, there are some people in the church. The Bible calls them troublemakers. And they do cause some trouble. But that, that's not re really our enemy. The ultimate enemy of God is the devil and all his emissaries. And he doesn't appear as the movies portray him. This, this scary, horned, evil person. How does the Bible say the devil will come? 1 Corinthians, very important verse. Or 2 Corinthians. And no wonder for the Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So what does he do? He sh he, 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 look, he comes after us making it look like it's good things. Look at the commercials on TV. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's having fun. Might not be the best thing to do, but everybody's having fun. The devil hates God. The devil hates you. He hates this church. He hates everything about this church. He hates what this church is going to do. And you have no idea, folks, you really don't, how, how important it is for a word of grace right now in the role it plays in this area of just holding back evil. You know, one day the Bible says through the rapture of the church, the church will leave the earth in a moment. 
And we have no idea how that's going to create a spiritual void because the church, just being on the earth, holds back evil. And God wants you to not only stand your ground of what you've taken from the enemy, but he wants you, you cannot stay here. There's more people who need to have hope. More people, listen, he's got people that he he determines should be in this place that you don't even know their names yet. You don't even know their faces. But God does. So it's totally unacceptable for you to stay here. I've had people in my church that say, wait a minute, we're big enough, we shouldn't accept more people. Oh, really? Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we all glad we didn't say that before you got here? <laughs> you wouldn't have found hope. Time is short. Days are evil. Third reason, most important. This is the most important reason. Why it's totally totally unacceptable for you to be satisfied with here. Jesus is the only hope. He is the, listen listen to me, he is the only hope for our world and for people. Not democracy, not the government, not the Republican Party, not the goodness of man, not therapy, not a strong military. Jesus is the only hope for anything good in the world. I've been in this work for 30 plus years. I have listened to every kind of problem you can think of. And it's scrambled eggs, folks. People get their lives so entwined in stuff, it's like scrambled eggs. And Billy Graham said, you shouldn't try and unscramble scrambled eggs. He said, you lead him to Jesus. He's the only power in the universe that can make any sense of a life that's been all scrambled up. Jesus is the only hope. He's a lifeboat. He's the ticket. And he's the ticket, listen, out of hell, yes, yes, there is a place called hell. Out of hell and into heaven. A couple of years ago, I'm in, uh, I'm in Lima, Peru. And I'm speaking to about 500 people in a church there in Lima, Peru. And uh, I'm doing a bunch of series, I'm doing a bunch of sermons on evangelism. And my, my wife calls me after a couple of days there. And she says, how's it going? I says, it's going great. It really is. God's really blessing it. And she goes, what are you preaching on tonight? I said, you can go to hell. <laughs> and she said, Dennis Piscopo, have you been drinking? I said, no, no, no. That's a, that's a sermon title. That's a sermon title. You can go to hell. What I'm going to tell them is, you don't have to go to heaven. You can go to hell. It's a real place. Jesus said in Matthew 7, what, narrow is the gate that leads to life, right? And few will find it. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many, many will go there. Many will choose to go there. You can choose to blow off God. You can choose hell. You can say, I don't, I don't want to be born again. I don't want to do any of this stuff the Bible says. And there's no way out of hell. There's no door out of hell. I grew up Roman Catholic, and we were always taught there's a safety valve. It's called purgatory. You live your life, you, you know, you commit some mistakes, you're not exactly where you should be when you die, you go to purgatory, you work things off, you're in heaven. So at 24 years old, I pick up the Bible. What do you think I'm looking for first? Because that's my safety valve. I'm looking for it. Pur- purgatory, purgatory, purgatory. Nada. It's not in there. It's fiction. It's a fiction place. A place they made up. And then I read verses like Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed for everyone to die once and then what? Go to purgatory? No. Then face judgment. Nothing in between. 
He's the only way. That's, that's why. That's why. We, could, we can never be satisfied with here. Jack Hiles, for many years, big pastor, Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you were around in the 70s, you were involved in the church. Bus ministry was the big thing. Every church in America was buying up old school buses because of Jack Hiles. He would buy hundreds of school buses. He would go all over the city and he would tell people, our bus is going to be at this time and if you want to go to our church, we'll pick you up, we'll bring you to church, we'll bring you back. That's a bus ministry spread across America. And if you ask Hiles, why are you doing this? He'd say simply, to win the loss. It's all about soul winning. So somebody asked him one day, they said, Jack, why do you have such a passion for winning lost souls? But he said, before I tell you that, there's a story i got to tell you. He says, this is why. He says, one night, my sister gave out a scream that was unbearable. And he said, uh, I rushed to her side. She was kind of hysterical in her room, and I, I started to shake her. And she snapped out of it. And she said, oh, Jack, Jack. And he says, you were having a nightmare. She said, oh, Jack, not a nightmare. He said, well, what's wrong? He said, Jack, I just got back from hell. He says, no, 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 listen, listen, you're confused. It was a nightmare. She said, Jack, please, please. Jack, you leave this place just not too far away. It's a desolate, burned-out place, horrible place. I saw it with my eyes. And there was a gate, and they stopped me there. And there were people and their arms were going through the bars. And they had twisted jaws and bulging eyes and parched dry skin. And she said, Jack, I asked the gatekeeper who was there. Isn't there just a little cool air? Something for these people. He said, no. She said, well, then be merciful. Give them a little water to drink. He said, no, no water in hell. She said, well, wouldn't it be humane? Let them die. He said, there's no death in hell. So well, then how long, how long must they suffer like this and their skin be parched and their tongues be swollen and their eyes bulging, no air, no water, no death? He said, forever and ever and ever because they're in hell. Folks, either hell is sustained in this book or it's not. And if it is, then why are more churches not passionate, absolutely passionate about winning as many people as they can to the gospel? Maybe it's because there's not enough tears in the preacher's eyes. And the gatekeeper said to, the, said to her, she said, now go back. Go back and tell Jack. And she said, Jack, the reason why I woke up screaming, the reason why I'm, the reason why I'm so upset is just as I was turning to come back, I saw Daddy. Daddy's in hell. And he reached for me, Jack. And so Jack Hyle said, the reason I am so passionate, the reason I send buses all over the place to bring as many people as I can in here is because I don't want to see anybody else's daddy or mommy or brother or sister or friend go to hell. And the reason why your church can't stay here ever, you have to go there. You have to expand. You have to grow. You have to give more. You have to do more. You have to serve more. Is because Jesus is the only Hope. And there's people. There are people with names and faces who need to be found. And God intends 
word of grace to be one of those places that goes out there to get them. So you want to know why you can't stay here? Because the time is short, the days are evil, and Jesus is the only way. Period. Let me pray with you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.